Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show and an episode from... The Vaults, that's right. With nearly 500 episodes under our belts, I thought we could revisit some of the conversations from the Emma Gunn Show archive that really resonated with you, but that also cover topics that are central to this podcast. A hunger for knowledge, positivity, overcoming obstacles, and striving to be the best version of ourselves. If you're a long-time listener of this podcast, you may remember when this episode was first published. You may even have listened first time around, but I'm aware that new people find the show all the time and with hundreds of episodes in the back catalogue, it can be quite the task to catch up. So for this series, I'm bumping these conversations to the top of the feed. And you may recognise my guest voice because Andy Podicombe is the co-founder and voice of meditation app Headspace. He is a meditation expert, perhaps even the meditation expert. And the reason why I wanted to revisit this conversation in this From the Vault series is that 2020 has been a challenging year. And I'm aware that as we conclude and review a year that has included a pandemic, an election, various stages of lockdown and many, many other things, that we'll perhaps be inundated with all of this information all at once. And it might be a lot to digest. It might actually be quite triggering to really look back over this year in one of those review shows or in those highlights that you might see in the news and I'm not suggesting that meditating will inoculate you against this or that meditation is a magic bullet but I do feel as though Andy's insights about the benefits methods and practicality of meditation may be helpful even if it's just in how positively it impacts maybe your outlook as we enter the new year with hope for the future. Additionally I wanted to reshare this conversation because Andy is one person I've been able to get on tape who has talked about the collective mind, how we are a global community, and this idea of togetherness. There are even meditation, group meditations you can do via the Headspace app, which kind of tap into this. And with everyone I've ever interviewed or read about or read their work or watched on YouTube or seen their TED Talk, who I would consider to be, let's say, enlightened, they all come back to this principle of how connected we are and how powerful that connection is and how if we can just tap into that connection, maybe the world would be a better place. But in 2020, I don't know about you, but it has felt as though when I think about the world, I think about divisiveness, I think about a lot of division, I think about a lot of conflict, disagreement and separation. And given all the challenges, it's not a surprise. But because of that, I just thought I would like to revisit Andy's insights And it did feel like the perfect way to end this series and end the new year was with this episode, which was originally published in March 2019. So here he is, back again, so to speak. It's Andy Podicombe on The Emma Gunn Show. Right, this is very exciting. Andy Podicombe (laughs) is on the show. You are the co-founder of Headspace. I am. That beautiful application (laughs) that even seeing the icon on my phone makes me feel... That's the that's the dream for us. <laughs> the one day you just you see the orange dot and you feel relaxed. It's great. It's already working. Good, good. <laughs> I'm glad. You are a very fascinating gentleman, and you're somebody that I've been wanting to speak to for a long time. 
And I've been wanting to do a show <laughs> about meditation. And there was no one else on planet Earth I would like to have oh, this conversation with. Come on. So I'm, a bit, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling no. the feelings. <laughs> it's just me. So you have the app. It has yeah. millions and millions of downloads and users. Yeah, about I think, almost 45 million now. It's quite a lot, isn't it? <laughs> Thank goodness for stress. Well, well, I know. <laughs> when did that happen? Yeah. And although I would absolutely love to unpick, like, turning meditation into an app and sure. this huge thing, I think the thing I want to share with listeners in this episode with you, we have an opportunity to really drill down into your expertise. Yeah. And I did 26 Habits last year where I did meditation and felt the benefits. Yeah. And I know I'm going to kick myself for asking you this question because <laughs> it's so basic and I've yeah. listened to you on so many other podcasts where you talk about really, really cerebral stuff. But I don't know about that. Are you sure that was me you were listening definitely. to? But Andy, what yeah. is meditation? So look, I think it's, it's useful to look at, at meditation alongside mindfulness because the, the two kind of go side by side. They're often um, used interchangeably. They're two different things. And I think both are equally valuable in our life. And it's useful to look at them side by side to understand what they are. So I'm actually going to start with mindfulness rather than meditation. Go for it. So mindfulness is the ability to be present, undistracted, in any moment in our life. So that could be right now as you're drinking that cup of tea. It could be walking down the street. It could be, I don't know, watching a sunset, listening to a piece of music, playing with our kids, whatever it might be. So all of those are moments to be in which we can be present, but that typically we're not very present. Mm. So we need an exercise in which we can train ourselves to be more mindful. That's meditation, where we take ourselves away from everyday life mm -hmm. and we create a situation, an environment, where we learn how to be more present, less distracted. And then with that newfound familiarity, we then take that back into our lives and we apply it to our lives. Because mm. I think that's really important because meditation is often seen as this kind of almost like a pill, like you, okay, 10 minutes a day, you're sorted. Okay, well, what about the other 23 hours and 15 minutes? What are we going to do with that? So I think the value of meditation is really when we're able to become more comfortable, familiar with that quality of mind and then apply it to our life, to our relationships. That's where we see the real kind of value, I think. Mm -hmm. And what, what are the benefits? The benefits are so I broad. Many, yeah. I mean, they, they really are. I think there's... Um, Last time I looked, there were about 5,000 bits of, of research, kind of scientific research done into meditation. Um, I'd say half of those were really kind of weak. Um, I wouldn't even kind of look at them. The, the, the early study into meditation and mindfulness was not very robust. Right. Um, but of the stuff that is kind of worth looking at and the more recent stuff, um, then I think everything from reducing stress to improving sleep mm. to reducing anxiety, reducing depression and the relapse of depression um, can help with hypertension. Um, I mean, it's it's really, really broad. And most people think it's just about sort of psychological mm. um, kind of condition. But yeah, it also has a real impact on our, our physical condition as well. I have a um, heart rate monitor, um, okay. blood pressure yeah. thingamajig at home. Yeah. And I have taken my blood pressure before meditation and afterwards. Is and there is a physical, yeah. Yeah. So for me, I think, yeah. and as much as I do, I, I do like the science. I do yeah. love a bit of data. Yeah. 
But when I'm actually meditating or if I have meditated, yeah. I'm not thinking about, yeah, that's my vortex well, being relaxed. This is the thing, you know, this is... For me, that's been a real challenge kind of on the journey of Headspace. Well, so we have a, an in-house science team. Um, they're working on with 20 published papers, there's 65 kind of trials in motion, clinical trials. Um, we love really deep in, in science. And it excites me from the point of view that it's going to allow us to move into healthcare mm-hmm. and it's going to make it more credible for those people who didn't think it was kind of credible. But on an individual level, on a personal level, nah it doesn't really make any difference. Like my experience is not based on what some man or woman in a white lab coat has to say, kind of mm. about what they've found. It's the feeling that I get when I sit and meditate mm. and the feeling that I have got over decades of doing it. So I would encourage everybody, yes, the science is, is important, it's interesting, but ultimately we get the real benefit by sitting down and, and doing it and experiencing it for ourselves. I tell you why I reference science, because I do, I do get a bit irritated in the current climate with the pseudoscience. Yeah. So, for example, I, I haven't seen any clinical data about crystals, for example. So that makes me think I probably won't focus on that. Right. Whereas I'm not saying that the placebo effect of carrying a bit of rose quartz might make me feel more open. Who knows? Yeah. But with meditation, absolutely. Not only do you feel it immediately, yeah. even if it is a, just an instant feeling of relaxation for yeah. a better word it's the consistency and the and the feeling yeah. over time yeah and i think you draw a brilliant analogy when you say or a brilliant parallel when you talk about fitness yeah and the fact that it's like training muscles yeah it really is and i think that that is one place where i think the science has become really helpful so in the same way yeah as we go into a gym and we train a muscle mm-hmm. and it receives more blood flow um, and it gets thicker and stronger the muscle gets thicker and stronger mm-hmm. In the same way, when we sit down to meditate, the the parts of the the brain associated with focus that receives more blood flow, it gets thicker and stronger. The part of the brain Mm. actually gets thicker and stronger. And in the same way, the parts of the brain associated with sort of stress and fear, that tends to kind of shrink. So this isn't just a sort of a psychological phenomena. It's a physiological Mm. phenomena. Our brain is literally kind of changing shape as Mm. we sit down to to meditate over a a period of time, which is kind of amazing and mind-blowing. Yeah, that's what I find really intriguing about it. Because for me personally, meditating, it has uh, helped me form coping mechanisms that I didn't have before. Right. I think if if I wanted listeners to understand what... And I'm not yeah. a consistent meditator, yeah. which we can discuss. Yeah. <laughs> because that must be... I'm not here to give you a hard time, you know. I, I wouldn't mind I if bought you did. a pocket full of gold stars here to give out. <laughs> um, I do want one of those. But um, that is another thing. You have this app, yeah. and I have been guilty of downloading the app, and even and in that moment thinking, well, I'm more relaxed. Yeah. And then maybe 30 days later, I get an email saying your payment has been received Headspace. <laughs> and I realise I haven't used Headspace, yeah. partly because I feel all right. Yeah. But you... No, go on. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, I, I think... Look, there are many different ways of looking at Headspace um, or looking at meditation mm. kind of more broadly. I think there's some parallels to be drawn with the way we look at nutrition and the way we look at kind of physical health and fitness. So I don't know about you, I don't kind of think, okay, right, I'm going to eat really well 
for the next two days. Well, for the rest of the year, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> and I go to the gym and kind of go, okay, well, I just maybe I'll do kind of a day a week. I know that's not really going to make a lot of kind of difference, you know. So in the same way, really meditation and mental health is no different. Mm. Like it requires kind of a, it requires firstly gentle, loving care. Mm. Kind of we don't want to kind of be bullying ourselves into doing something. But it does re- require sort of consistency. Mm. And that's when we start to see the real benefits. So rather than thinking of this as, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get stressed and then I'm going to fix it until I feel okay again and then not do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Instead, think about it more like a vitamin. So that was more like more aspirin approach. This is more vitamin, kind of. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this every day on a daily basis so I don't even get to a point mm-hmm. of feeling stressed or unwell where I feel I then need to fix it. And for me, that's a far more exciting mm-hmm. kind of proposition. And ultimately, it's a more sustainable way of making it part of life. Mm. And you you've meditated in the most extreme ways which I will have explained to listeners in the, <laughs> in the introduction and how and I just wonder how it feels to filter it down yeah. via the app into it's a completely different proposition five ten minute 15 minute versus what you used to do it's a little different <laughs> it is a little different but you can get similar same benefit yeah you know look the, in full disclosure, when I um, when I left the monastery and and I started teaching meditation, um, kind of back here, I I really thought that anything less than an hour wasn't really kind of worth it. Um, and so you know, it wasn't until I started working with people kind of one to one in a clinic sort mm-hmm. of situation, and I discovered that well, one people couldn't sit for an hour; it was just mm-hmm. too long, and two they didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, people didn't have time for that in their lives, so it was trying to find kind of just the right amount of time that was long enough to have a positive benefit, but not so long that people got bored or fell asleep. Mm. So kind of playing with that number, um, you know, I actually I started kind of getting down to half an hour, then it was 20 minutes, then 15, then 10. Less than 10 seemed to have a little kind of less effect. 10 minutes seemed to be long enough to have that benefit. People were able to find time in their day to introduce it. And there's also something that happens for most individuals within 10 minutes, which is something called the relaxation response. It's like the, the flip side of the stress response. Mm-hmm. So relaxation response is when our heart rate starts to decrease, our breathing starts to decrease, we start to produce less cortisol, less adrenaline, and generally we start to experience a greater feeling of relaxation. So mm. that's just in kind of 10 minutes. And then we had this whole 10-minute thing, you know, going. And, um, and then we went to America. And we, we, we turned up in New York. Quick and faster, Yeah, and the, exactly. And the first question afterwards, after the event, I said, anyone any questions? Someone put a hand and said, do you have a five-minute version? <laughs> and um, I sort of looked at Rich, and he was like, well, maybe, you know. And, and again, if I, was, I was a little resistant to it, and we tried it. And the feedback was from people, it makes a difference. Mm. And I think... It's so easy. It's always sort of relative. And I think it's so easy to say, oh, it's only this amount of time. Mm-hmm. But if you've never had any time, five minutes is massive mm-hmm. in, a, in a, a day when we're constantly distracted and overwhelmed. Like having just five minutes can make a really big difference. So I've given up even trying to guess what is going to be helpful for people. <laughs> Instead, we record it in lots of different mm-hmm. kind of time lengths and we let people decide for themselves what's the right amount of time mm-hmm. for them. You are very nimble in terms of adapting to what people want 
and you've got the SOS packs and yeah. you've got the relationships packs, the anxiety packs. So it's you're, you're definitely, it's not just here's a month's worth of meditation yeah. for beginners, intermediate and advanced. There has been a learning, you know, when we started off, Rich said, uh, he said, okay, do you think you could do like a year of meditation? Um, so I went into the studio and I did a meditation, did 365 meditations about 20 minutes long each of them and um it took a little while and then people um people would try it and it was great because lots of people were using it and it was, it was doing well but people would say do you have anything sort of when i'm struggling with my relationships and mm. be like yeah actually that's um i think that's in such and such a pack it's, it's probably like six months in and they're like i can't wait six months i'm having a problem in my relationship today i need so i need some help now so we kind of got us thinking in a different way well maybe it needs to be a bit more modular a bit more personalized where people can go in and say okay well this is what i need right now this is what i need for my kind of long-term ongoing sort of health and it's great to know there are all these other kind of packs that when i'm going through mm -hmm. difficulties in my life i can sort of pull those into into my headspace journey so that's been uh, yeah the evolution of it um for some people who are listening may not have ever sat down and tried to meditate. Yeah. So for those people, yeah. might you be able to explain what it could feel like? Yeah. <laughs> and why you should get over that and stick with it? Well, the, the first thing I'd say is if you've never done anything like meditation before, um, it can feel very strange. I don't know what your experience was. Just a very um, busy brain. Yeah, right. So yeah. it's... So some people feel really kind of uncomfortable, like, what do I do? This, this is really strange, not doing anything, because mm -hmm. we're so used to kind of just doing stuff all the time. Other people sit down and go, oh, my God, my brain, my mind is so full of thoughts. I'm never going to be able to do this. That's just more thinking, by the way. <laughs> um, and I think just generally, it can feel like a, a very alien sort of concept. So... And it, for me, that was a little bit like, you know, the first time you go and do a new sport or you go and do a new type of exercise, mm -hmm. it feels a bit strange at first. Mm -hmm. You need to do it a few times to kind of get comfortable and familiar. Once you do that, I think there is a, a sense of familiarity that comes with that, that the body starts to kind of get used to that position. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about just sitting on a chair here. Um, the, yeah, the breathing starts to slow down. The mind begins to kind of relax. We're not trying anymore to try and stop all the thoughts in our head. Instead, we're getting comfortable. We're just allowing thoughts to come and go. Mm. And that's probably the biggest misconception, actually, with meditation, mm. is people trying to think they've got to control the mind, got to stop thoughts. If we could stop thoughts, we'd have done it so long ago. We wouldn't need meditation. <laughs> I wouldn't even be here chatting, right? <laughs> so we can't control the thoughts in our mind. What we can do is learn how to step back from the thoughts so we're not caught up in them, mm -hmm. so that it feels like we have space where we're just witnessing thoughts. We can then choose whether to engage with thoughts or whether to sort of just let them so let them pass by. Minority report. A little bit like that. A little bit like, oh, that one's interesting. Actually, no, I'll let it go. Red ball that in one. that one. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you, because there's, a, there's lots of conversations about meditation right now. Yeah. And it's become quite fashionable. It has. And I wanted, I mean, I listened to a conversation with Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And it made me want to do transcendental meditation immediately. Yep. Because he said that after a few weeks of doing it, he saw the opening scene of A Star Is Born in his head. Right. And that was the germ of the okay. movie. Okay. And I thought, well, that's 
seems like a good enough reason. Yeah, um, I'm looking to do a movie. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I'm always looking to do a movie. <laughs> but um, I'm curious about what the difference is between the different types of meditation, yeah. please. <laughs> yeah, so oh, I grew up doing um, TM, doing Transcendental Meditation. So I, I learned um, to meditate when I was about um, 10, 11 years old um, with my mum. Who was who was having having classes at the time, and um, look, I think there are many different types of. You're right. There's many different types of meditation, mm. um, and different people are drawn to different things. Um, at that time, I found it very useful. As I went away and became a Buddhist monk, I found a ho- there was a whole sort of structure and system of learning, mm-hmm. um, which felt felt for me a little more comprehensive. Um, does comprehensive doesn't mean better it just means kind of it was a different approach mm. um so what what i've found with most people especially if they're not used to meditation is there are certain things that have put them off in the past um things like needing to sit cross-legged on the floor okay don't have to do it burning incense don't have to do it chanting mm. don't have to do it mantra so some people are okay with mantra. For a lot of people, that's still a kind of uh, an uncomfortable thing, kind of having to repeat a word or a phrase, which is often sort of Sanskrit in origin. Mm-hmm. That's not a natural thing for a lot of people. Some people love it. Um, and so what we've done is try to create, whilst maintaining the authenticity and essence of the practice, we've tried to kind of take away as many of the obstacles as possible mm-hmm. so that we can kind of really meet people where they are. Um, and then where that goes after that is obviously up to up to each and every individual. I tried to turn my meditation once I felt comfortable with, yeah. like I'd done the first three packs of ten. Yeah. I then thought, well, I'm going to go back into pack two and I'm going to do that on a train. Yeah. Because if I can meditate on a train, yeah. then I'm really going somewhere. That's legit literally. meditation right there, yeah. Um, and I do think that there is something to be said about just being able to take... Yeah. Because you're not going to find yourself in your most stressful moment in your living room, which is where I do my yeah. meditation. You're going to find your most stressful moment probably when you're out in the world. It's true. Doing stuff. It's true. For me, that's the difference um, between meditation and mindfulness. So, yes, we we definitely we can meditate in the world, like when we're on a commute or something like that. But there's something kind of really interesting about how meditation sort of seeps into the rest of our day mm. and we are able to be more mindful. So when I meet, it's funny, when I meet um, people who do exercise and they don't meditate, they're like, no, I don't really need meditation. Running's my meditation. Swimming's my meditation. And it's Look kind of... my questions, Andy. No, so sorry. Is <laughs> <laughs> it and, um, and it's kind of like, well, well that's great. Um, but what happens kind of if you get injured what happens if you can't run does that mean like what what happens Mm -hmm. that day and also if you're in the middle of a a difficult conversation with somebody if you're having an argument with somebody and you're starting to feel getting stressed out do you say (laughs) uh excuse me i'm just i'm just gonna go for a little run could you i'll be back in you know like it's not really practical so if we become dependent on things in order to feel a certain way and you could say that in meditation but that's why meditation is different because it seeps into the rest of our day mm. from a mindfulness perspective in the moment of having the argument we're able to bring about that same quality of mind of spaciousness in mm. the mind and perhaps momentarily step back and be in a calmer clearer space so that 
things don't spiral out of control as they sometimes do. Well, I, uh, when I did 26 Habits and I did meditation in my kind of Jerry Springer's final thought about yeah. it, I was like, <laughs> well, the thing that I noticed is I'm self-employed, I'm quite hard on myself, I'm like, yeah. go, 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 go. So I tend to wake up at a seven. Okay. So when you think about it, it's not that far to a 10. Yeah. And I've definitely been that person who's been reactive yeah. when I really should not have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what I've, and just, and hence the coping mechanisms. Yeah. And just instead of being able to just take half a breath and go, yeah. Emma, chill, chill out. Yeah. But what I found with the repetitive doing it every day for two weeks is that I woke up and I was at a four. And then yeah. I could only ever really go up to a six or a seven in the day. Yeah. Because I was never going to be pushed to a 10. I don't know if that, yeah. <laughs> that's the same sort of thing. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. I think because I think what happens, it's a little bit like, um, I don't know if these things still exist. This is probably like a relic from You're showing your age another, uh, yeah, I'm really showing my age. <laughs> Do pressure cookers still exist? Are those oh, yes. There? Big on Amazon right now. Okay, right. Um, well, they were a thing back in the 70s as well. And I remember kind of watching my mum as a kid. Um, and they would, you know, she'd stick the, the fork underneath the top of the pressure cooker and just like release a little bit of the, mm. the, the pressure from there. And it, I do, it still kind of sticks in my mind. So every time we sit to meditate, it's almost like all that pent up, built up stress that we feel. Because I think sometimes we explode when we're not really expecting mm. to explode. And you kind of see it happening all around us in, in life. And I think sometimes it's just we're not even aware that that pressure is building up. Mm. And so I think meditation is almost a little bit like sticking that fork under the, the top of the pressure cooker, just just letting off a little bit each time. So I think, yeah, you can then live at a slightly less intense um, kind of pace. Yes. Maybe. And I, we will talk about exercise because I did want to talk about that. Yesterday, I've had a nightmare with Wi-Fi and computers. Yeah, been yeah. Been what's, been, what's been going on? <laughs> It's, it's all right, I fixed it. Okay, I mean, I wasn't offering to fix it. I don't know anything about that stuff. But I know a guy I can call. He's brilliant. Um, and I would have previously got very, very upset, maybe even had a cry. Yeah. But I did not. But yesterday evening, I was like prepping for this, like yeah. doing all my notes, and the Wi-Fi was still patchy. Yeah. And I, I was walking around like a cat during the yeah. mad hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, right, I either need to meditate or go for a, a run. Yeah. And why are they... But they're two very different things. One spikes cortisol. One yep. is, um, you know, all about pushing everything to the max. And the other one is about bringing it down. Yeah, well, you haven't seen the way I run. It's not about... It's definitely not about pushing it to the max. But I'll take your word for it. I, they, they are two different things. I think they're fundamental... Actually, I don't think they are as different as they appear. I think, um, you know, you can meditate. Um, in a very unskillful way you can run in a very skillful way it's less about what we're doing it's more about how we're doing mm -hmm. it so we can run with mindfulness um, equally we can meditate with no mindfulness so mm -hmm. I think yes they have a different feeling on the body and I actually I'm not someone who always says oh you should meditate if you're feeling stressed I actually think there's a real place for physical exercise and sometimes um, if people are feeling really kind of wound up I'd say you'd be better off go for a run first mm. like rather than either or go for a run 20 minutes 30 minutes whatever your thing is come back and do 10 minutes of meditation mm. like that's that's the dream because then you kind of you get out a lot of the the physical tension that's built up in the body mm. 
the breathing tends to kind of change and that starts to to help release some of the emotional kind yeah, of tension. Yeah. So when you do finally sit to, to meditate, most people get even more benefit from it. That's really interesting. Um, I actually was wondering about the balance of the body and mind hmm. and whether they should be at 50-50 or whether there should be a different kind of a balance. Yeah. I, that's interesting. Yeah, I, honestly, I never thought of them as separate things, but I guess you could think of them as separate. I don't know if they are, though. Mm. I don't know if... Yeah, I don't know if I experienced them in in that way. Do you? Well, the reason I ask is because we're kind of we're we're, we're animals. Yeah, we're body led, so there's elements of instinct. But then we okay. also we also have brains, and we also got it. And so I just so finding a balance between those two things is there, maybe optimum. There is, yeah. I, but I think um, I think. We fortunately we are able to um, sort of have a degree of choice over kind of how we behave mm. and, and everything else. And um, I think I think applying awareness to our lives allow allows us to live sort of more skillfully. So, for example, I like ice cream. Now you're in a safe place, Andy. Great. Did you? <laughs> did you? Uh, so now I know that if I sit down and eat a small amount of ice cream. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel good. Uh, she makes me feel good. I like it. <laughs> but if I keep eating ice cream and I, I just listen to my body, mm. which is kind of saying, more sugar, more sugar, come on, keep going, power through, mm. uh, I know I'm going to feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> so having the awareness to, to, to see that the body is kind of wanting one thing, but actually I know that's not necessarily kind of helpful, I think is really important. Yeah. So I think, yes, we should listen to those uh, we should listen to our body. Mm. Um, but the starting place is the mind. And it always, it kind of interests me sort of where people prioritize meditation and mental health generally. Because if you think about it, it's really the, it's the start of everything. So if I'm going to, let's say I'm going to uh, go on a, I don't know, start trying to eat in a more kind of healthy way, for example. Okay, the pizza doesn't jump up off the plate and put itself in my mouth, like, at some stage, a thought has popped into my mind, I would like some pizza, I'm going to order some pizza, I'm going to wait for it. And so the mind kind of really dictates kind of how we're going to apply ourselves to anything in life, whether it's food or exercise or music or art or whatever kind of thing we might be passionate about. The starting place is always the mind. So I kind of feel Rather than trying to deal with all these different elements of life, mm -hmm. if we can first focus on getting the mind in a good spot, then ultimately it transforms all these different things and we can apply ourselves in a, a better way, a healthier mm -hmm. way to all of these different things. A strong mind. A strong mind, but a soft mind. Mm. You know? It's not, <laughs> strong, it's not strong and rigid, it's, it's strong and soft. Right. I've got you. Um, should we be teaching this to our kids? I mean... I think we should. I'm a little bit biased. So let me tell you, I mean, I have a couple of little kids. Do you have kids? No. no okay. You look too young to have kids. Um, oh, so um, I have a, a one, well, one, he's almost two, a um, little boy called Leo oh. and a four and a half year old called Harley. Hi, Leo and Harley. And, um, and 
Leo's obviously he's he's a bit too young to be kind of doing this stuff. He's just come out super chilled out anyway. Mm-hmm. The first one didn't come out that way. I mean, he's like just whirlwind kind of running around the whole time. I shall test you in your meditation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think everyone thought just because I'd been away kind of studying meditation <laughs> as a monk that somehow my wife was going to give monk birth baby. to yeah to a little Buddha or something like that. I mean, and so it was quite a shock for all of us. I think <laughs> when, when he didn't come out that way, and. Um, not that long ago, I said, um, sometimes I'll talk him through some little exercises and, um, and, and it helps. And I, I thought, well, maybe I should, you know, we have Headspace for Kids on the mm-hmm. app. Maybe I should try it. So uh, I, put the, uh, I put the app on. He was, he was lying in, in bed. I said, oh, we're going to do a little exercise. And, and, it, and I pressed start. And he said, uh, he said but Papa, you're like, he calls me. And he said, um, he said but that's, that's your voice. And I said, yeah. And he said, hmm. Can I listen to Peppa Pig instead? So for for my own son, obviously, kind of using the app is not going to be an option. We're definitely going to have to do it in person. Um, but it amazes me how many messages we get in from people who are doing it genuinely with their kids as young as three, mm. three and four years old, who are learning to meditate and they're developing these skills at a really early age so that, one, they have it in their life, but also it becomes it becomes normal. Like all the things that we grew up with, things like brushing the teeth and having a wash, and they just are part of our life. We don't think of them as strange, and we do them on a daily basis. My hope is that the next generation will grow up, and, and meditation and mindfulness will be kind of an essential part of of life and part of the curriculum. Yeah, and it's already it's already in a lot of schools um, in the in the US. We work with 75 school districts um, and we've made it freely available to 400,000 teachers um, and we made it freely available to, to students throughout the, the US. So we're, we're trying to kind of create, um, yeah, a, a service where where students and educators can learn this stuff because I think mm. it is, you just look around the world right now. I mean, I happen to be back here during the Brexit kind of great thing going on <laughs> and on the US we have our own stuff going on over there as well and I think you just look around the world I think more than ever um, we need kind of the ability to respond from a place of calm mm. and clarity and have a healthy respect for people around us you know and that's one thing I've tried to articulate with a few friends recently and I don't know if I'm going to fluff it up here of talking about me and my own mental health journey and meditating and feeling the benefits. But I then go out into the world and I'm aware of stresses and anger. And if, I mean, obviously I live and work in London. So yeah. if you, you, te- you can go out and you can see a fight or yeah. argy-bargy on the tube. Yeah, plenty. Very, you know, very quickly. Yeah. And so I have to say not my thing, not sort of tap into that yeah. frequency. Yeah. But that is a that frequency is kind of like the biggest wavelength right now, isn't it? It is, In yeah. It is. So the analogy that my whole life is just one like long analogy. That's kind of <laughs> just speaking analogies now. Um, but the analogy that kind of springs to mind is, uh, let's say there's a massive storm going on and... I would say practicing mindfulness is the difference between being out in the storm and getting struck by lightning, getting soaking wet and mm-hmm. being kind of in there and sitting on the other side of the glass, nice and warm in a cozy house, kind of observing the storm kind of happening. Right. So if you think about how... 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. How that translates to that wave wavelength. So we can either be out in that kind of wave wavelength, soaking it all up and becoming part of it, or we can be walking around in the same world, but kind of observing it with a little bit of kind of space from a place of comfort mm. where we're not becoming part of that. Instead, we're simply witnessing it. Mm. And hopefully in witnessing it, other people start to get influenced by how we are as well. Mm. And so if we can be peaceful and loving and kind, good people in the world, then hopefully a little bit of that rubs off somewhere. For the best. Well, one of the other 26 habits was random acts of kindness. Okay, nice. And so there were several pillars to it, but one of them was looking for the good in the world. Yeah. So when I walk out to the tube station and the guy's like, oh, I love, show me yeah. a juicy boob. <laughs> Ignoring that. <laughs> oh, it makes you proud to be a man. <laughs> makes you proud to be a man. Yeah. Um, I only saw him on the way here today and I was like, buttoned up. Um, was, uh, I would look out and sort of notice the person who was maybe opening a door for someone. Yeah. And if you look for it, you find it it's there yeah we just tend not to look for it yeah and or, that's yeah. the thing and I think the meditation mindfulness side of things maybe as you say gives you that step back so you can yeah look more positively out there I think so it just it, we missed there was a study um, I'm sure you'd heard about it before but it was a study it was done about eight years ago it was done at Harvard where they looked at how much of our life is lost in sort of a wandering mind. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was like 47% they found on average. And it wasn't only... So that's basically we've just written off half of our life right there, kind of that we've, we've, lo <laughs> we've lost in distraction. Um, but also they found that mind, a ruminating mind, a wandering mind was more likely to lead to unhappiness. So, you know... If we can find, if there is a tool, if there is a technique, and there is, it's mindfulness, mm -hmm. to actually step out of the thinking mind so that we can only be more happy in our lives, but also more present and mm -hmm. engaged. It's so easy, especially with phones now, to be with a friend, but looking at our phone, mm -hmm. to be with our kids, but scrolling through our emails. You know, like we are actually very present, very little of our life. Mm. So I just think there is an amazing opportunity to experience more of life. Yes. 
There absolutely is. And I mean, I obviously we've got things like Netflix and we talk about things like binge watching. Yeah. And we are in a trance like state there. <laughs> well, we can be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depends what we're watching. But yeah. And yeah. I just feel like, well, if you could, I was saying to someone the other day, well, if you can binge watch an entire series of such and such. Yeah. You can probably meditate. I don't know. Is that a fair yeah, I mean, Parallel. from from a time point of view, there's no question yeah. that if you can give up ten hours to watch TV, then ten minutes to to meditate feels kind of like okay. Um, yeah, I look. I, I'm I'm different. People have different opinions. Um, I don't think that entertainment is kind of like a bad thing. I don't mm-hmm. think social media is a bad thing. I don't think phones are a bad thing. They're all just things. Mm. And ultimately, it's our behavior with them, our mm. relationship with them that defines whether yeah. they're good or they're bad. Um, I feel phones can be used in a positive way. Uh, I live in America. A lot of my family live here. FaceTime, what an amazing mm. thing. I get to see my niece and they get to see my kids. And I wouldn't have that. I love the fact that I can do that on mm. my phone. Social media, I wouldn't be able to have conversations with people who use Headspace and kind of, you know... And learn about, like you know, what they're, the benefits mm. they're getting or the challenges they're having. So there's so many different kind of aspects. I think it's easy to kind of, you know, say this stuff is bad. Mm. Kind of when, when ultimately it's actually up to each of us to find out well, what works for us as individuals, mm. and that helps us lead a happier life rather than a more stressful life. Mm. Just requires a bit of experimentation, I think. I also wanted to ask you about worry, oh, and, yeah. and caring. Because yeah. I was definitely brought up to believe that if I was worried, yeah. it meant I cared. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? And so mm. every situation I was in, yeah. I cared about. So I wanted to show how much I cared. Yeah. So I would bring worry and stress. Oh, that's a really good one. To the situation. Yeah. And now I feel that I can care yeah. without having to flip that dial up to 10 absolutely which is great yeah (laughs) just for me personally and I'm sure I I have no unique thoughts and I know lots of my listeners feel the same way as I do about certain things so I'm hoping that someone else is listening to that and gets where I'm trying to go with this but we do seem to wear these worry stress being busy as badges of honor it's true. It reminds me of uh, there's a Tibetan. I can't remember the exact translation, but it's it's to do with compassion. And there's like wise compassion and sort of clumsy compassion, and and it would roughly be the sort of yeah. translation. And clumsy compassion is this idea that somehow we kind of have to fix fix the world, and you know, and and we tend to think a lot about it. Sometimes even driving ourselves into the ground, mm. kind of in trying to to do that. Um, not realizing that we're benefiting nobody, kind of mm. we're, oh, it's terrible English. We're not benefiting anybody. <laughs> um, so my mum should. Um, so I think there's um, yeah there's there is a very real case for realizing kind of in order to be kind and caring for others, we need to be kind and caring towards ourselves. And being lost in lots of thinking, lots of worry, lots of anxiety is not the way mm. to being kind and caring for ourselves. So. The more, I, I really believe kind of the more calm, clear, content we can be in ourselves and more benefit we can be to those around us. Mm. And ultimately we'll be able to kind of care for people in a, in a more tangible way. The pack I'm doing at the moment is about relationships and it is right. that thing about being 
Well, I perceive it as being self-contained so that it benefits me, but also the people around me. Absolutely. Ultimately, I think they're indistinguishable. Mm. You know, it's Mm. it's funny. We often talk about, um, oh, I'm kind to other people, or I I hear this, you know, kind of, I'm kind to other people, but not not to myself. And it's really hard to give something away that we don't have ourselves. So I kind of feel like if we develop kindness in ourselves, it's for everyone. Mm. Like we, We can't develop kindness and then lock it up and keep it just for our own personal use and never share it with the people around us. It doesn't work like that. Mm. If we develop kindness, if we develop love, if we develop compassion, we get to benefit, other people get to benefit, win-win. Mm-hmm. I do have a question for you. Sure. Did, another one, yeah. what have we been doing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. <laughs> um, do you think you found meditation or did meditation find you? Oh. Or do you believe in that hokey pokey? I don't know if it's hokey pokey. I mean, life just has its way, right? Mm. Um, I feel like, and look, this is, I have no way of kind of proving this out or anything, you know, this is just my own kind of nonsense, you know. But I, I feel like in life generally, there's probably, there's a fairly good chance percentage-wise that we're going to end up doing what we end up doing, you know. I don't feel like there's infinite way, I mean, I was never going to be like a professional ballet dancer or something. I don't think so. Like, even if I'd have chosen to go down that route, I don't think I ever would have kind of got there. I I kind of feel like free will exists Mm -hmm. and we kind of, we make choices along the way. But there's probably a particular direction in life Mm -hmm. where we're going to move towards, whether we like it or not. That's my own kind of feeling. And um, I feel in that sense... Meditation, you know, it did find its way into my life at a really early age. I didn't go looking for it. Mm. My parents were getting divorced. My mum was stressed out and she wanted a way to cope. And she didn't want to leave the kids at home on, the, on their own. So we went along to, to learn meditation. So in that sense, I feel like meditation found me. In terms of actually deciding to go away and become a monk, you could look at that and say that that was a, a choice. For me, it didn't feel like a choice. Mm. That was... You know, people talk about callings and stuff like that. I, I Nothing else made sense. And mm. I, I know for a lot of people, that wouldn't have made sense either. I'm, I'm fully aware of the, uh, if only is the right word. But um, yeah, it just, it was, it was that feeling, like that feeling you get inside of yourself where it's so strong, you can't ignore it. Oh, but now, what yeah. if you have spent your life suppressing those feelings yeah. Because you have to do the right thing or you should be doing this. Yeah. Like you have been very good historically of listening to that and acting upon it and it not feeling like yeah. an action. But I, I think that that in itself is a really incredible trait. It was definitely something that was encouraged like when we were growing up. And and also, yeah, I could yeah, I could look back and and kind of say that it didn't it didn't feel it didn't feel that way and also I was I was young enough that I didn't have any responsibilities as well like that's mm-hmm. a really you know so if if you wake up one day at 40 if I'd have woken up kind of in my in my mid 40s and kind of said um suddenly thought oh okay um I'm in a job I've got a wife I've got children I really feel like I need to be a Buddhist monk mm-hmm. I'd have been having a different set of conversations in my life, I think. And I'm not so sure I would have been, I would have gone off and done that. Mm. So I think, look, it's not kind of, 
we, we feel something and we've, we've got to run after it. Yeah. I think there is obviously kind of we have to look at our, our place in the world and how it impacts kind of others. Mm. But yeah, in my life, I've been very fortunate to have been in situations where, where I can do that. And even having, you know, um, married my wife and everything else, you know, even if I just take something as simple as moving to America, mm. you know, um, that was asking a lot of my, of my wife. And, but we wanted to move to business there. Um, and the feeling for us was really strong that that was the, that was the right thing mm. to do, but it had to be a conversation. It couldn't just be me going home to my wife one night mm. and going, Hey love, by the way, um, I want to go surfing before I start work every day. Can we move to California? Like, you know, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have gone for that. So I think, yeah, it's just, it's listening to it, but also recognizing kind of that we don't live alone in the world love that you fashioned the cell the surfing probably was near the bottom yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i've definitely previously in my life been governed by the the idea of i really want to do this yeah but then i I allowed um all of the reasons not to do something to dominate yeah it's easy to do right yeah easy to do any tips for how not to (laughs) yeah so i mean i think that the ability to step out of thinking Mm. And I, I, I sometimes feel like I must sound like the most boring, broken record ever. But that is the that is the essence, not just of meditation, but of mindfulness and of living a, a, a healthier life where we are able to hear our intuition. Ordinarily, we can't hear it because it's drowned out by our thinking. Mm. And a thought arises, oh, that's a great idea. And we get kind of all excited about it. And then another thought arises, oh, yeah, but what about this? And, blah, blah, blah. and then we start, then we're having a whole internal mm. kind of dialogue that's going on. Our intuition, and there's no way we're hearing our intuition amongst, and we might even kind of think, oh, but hold on, is that my intuition? Is the positive voice the intuition or is my negative voice the intuition? Probably if you're thinking about it, neither is the intuition. And the intuition is something we feel. It's not something we think. So a thought can arise from a feeling. So we might be able to retrospectively rationalize a feeling and mm. then put it into action. But normally it's, yeah, because we're so caught up in thinking. So learn how to step out of thinking. Mm. And the more we do that, the better able we're, we are to sort of listen to ourselves. I think that's, I was going to ask you as you were saying that, what's the difference between intuition and your thoughts? Yeah, so I think yeah. that's, that's, for, for me, that's my my understanding of it. It's um, you know, thinking. Although um, we experience some thoughts that just come and go, most of our thinking is sort of is powered. Mm. Kind of, we we're involved in some way in it, either chasing after it or or resisting it. Whereas intuition is is just sort of it's a feeling mm. that is is here. It doesn't require any effort. We can't really change it. It kind of is what it is, mm. whereas our thinking, we can kind of try and rationalise and contextualise and kind of almost try and change the direction of it in some way. It's maybe. troubleshooting. I yeah. thought that if I had yeah. all the thoughts, I'd, I'd examine all the outcomes, like Doctor yeah. Strange and in, Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> don't know if you've seen it, but anyway, here. No. <laughs> 6,405,000 potential outcomes and only in one of them they win. Okay. But anyway, it was that. It was if I think about all of the yeah. potential things, then... Yeah. I'll be prepared for which one actually happens. Yeah. Which, when you think about the possible number of outcomes in life, I mean, it's a pretty exhausting strategy right, right there. I was very tired for yeah. a long time. <laughs> a very long time in my life. Um, whereas intuition is just, yeah. well, I don't know, I'm describing it now, how I feel is I just trust myself to make the right decision. And yeah. if it doesn't go the way I want it to, I trust myself to 
be nimble. I think that's it. And it's really tempting, isn't it, to, to think, um, okay, so I'm going to follow my intuition and it's going to turn out in the way that I think it should. Mm. And for me, that has nothing to do with intuition. <laughs> uh, intuition has taken, I, I, my, I think, has taken me in directions that I could never have anticipated, that didn't turn out in ways that I expected, that I could have potentially looked at and thought, oh, I shouldn't have made that decision. Mm. And yet I still feel it was the right decision, mm. um, even if the outcome was painful in some way, because it's on that journey that I've learned something mm. or, you know, it, everything has led to this point in time, right? Mm. Yeah. For all of us. And rather than kind of trying to look at this point in time and create a story around it, whether it's good or bad, we like it, we don't, we wish it was something different. Instead, actually, this point in time is incredible. Mm. Like, if we don't think about it, if we start thinking about it, we'll find all kinds of faults with the mm. way our life might be unfolding. But if we can just be present for this moment in time, then I think there's something amazing to be found. Mm. I don't know why, I just suddenly want to ask you about um, acceptance speeches. Okay. I know are you, are you giving one? Or? In an infinite, in infinite possibilities, I, I, I am, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I find comfort in infinite possibilities. Yeah. If something doesn't go my way or I'm like, well, in, another, in an infinite possibility, I'm, I'm in A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper. I okay. find it comforting. Yeah. Why, why, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Side note. So, no, the question I wanted to ask you about acceptance speeches based on what you just said is... Yeah. Obviously, there are different styles of acceptance speeches. And sometimes we've seen people go yeah. up on a huge platform in front of billions of people yeah. and lose it completely. Yeah. And then you see people get very smooth and rehearsed yeah. and lovely. And I, I'm, it just made me think, is the person who's crying yeah. having all the thoughts and not actually enjoying that moment? Because that might make me a bit sad. Yeah. That's an interesting one. And is the person who's composed breathing it in and enjoying it i think it's difficult to say Mm. i I think it could be different for everyone i think some people become kind of hysterical and are able to maintain some level of coherence (laughs) um and others kind of just lose it completely um i think sometimes i think we feel it i for me it's it's less about what the person's doing and it's more about the feeling i get when i'm watching them and there's a feeling of, or listening to them, there's a feeling of authenticity. Mm. I think you can feel when something is over-rehearsed. Mm. You just don't connect emotionally with it. Equally, when someone completely wigs out and like goes <laughs> right off, then it's kind of like, whoa, okay, this is getting a bit strange now. Kind of, I'm not sure I can necessarily kind of maintain <laughs> that emotional connection. Because yes. yeah. rationally, I'm starting to think you might need some help. So I think, <laughs> um, you know... It's yeah. I think it's just to do with it's to do with authenticity and getting up there and just being yourself and being honest. And everyone has a different way of presenting that. I know I mentioned it before we started recording, but I don't think we've done the deep dive into does meditation mean you're spiritual? Ah, oh, the word spiritual. Mm. You know. Sorry. I, I no, <laughs> no, no, no. It's 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 a good it's a good question. So, if I, I think the whole idea of spirituality. Um, and I give some context to this. Okay. Um, it can be a bit of a trip in the same way um, that religion can be. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean religion is a bad thing or spirituality. I think the way we look at it. So if you think about meditation, it's about letting go. Mm-hmm. It's about letting go of thinking. 
It's about letting go of labels, letting go of identity. Why would we go through all of that trouble of letting go of all these things, which is often quite difficult to do, and then put a big stamp on ourselves, on our forehead, saying, I'm spiritual. <laughs> like, that's just another label. Mm-hmm. Kind of so, I feel like we don't, we, we don't, it's a really strange thing, we don't have to take on the label of being spiritual. Mm-hmm. For me, being present, moment to moment, with a kind, open, curious mind, compassionate heart. You can call it spirituality if you like. I don't, I don't use that terminology myself, but I know a lot of people think about it in that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I, don't, I think it's really dangerous to go through life saying that person's spirit. Because if we're, if we're labeling ourselves in that way, then inevitably we are labeling others in that way. That mm-hmm. person's spiritual, that person's not. Actually, my experience has been some people who talk in a very spiritual way don't necessarily behave in a terribly spiritual way. Yep. <laughs> um, and some people who have no interest in any of that, you know, philosophy or psychology or religion or anything at all, they're just really kind, good people in the mm. world. So I, I don't like the idea of kind of saying spiritual, non-spiritual. And I think more than that, kind of meditation, it can be a way of, so if we sort of veer slightly away from sort of spirituality, maybe into faith, mm-hmm. kind of so for those people of faith, the temptation sometimes can be, well, I don't need meditation because I have my faith. And my experience has been um, working with people of all different faiths all over the world is that actually meditation is a way of, of deepening our faith in the same way that prayer is a way of deepening mm-hmm. our faith. And, you know, to someone who kind of says, well, you know, I... pray to god for example i would say okay well with meditation when we quieten the mind we are better able to hear we're better able to listen Mm -hmm. so in in that sense i kind of think it's something that allows us to deepen our faith if we are of a particular faith Mm -hmm. but if we're not of a particular faith we can see it as just a really useful skill in life that allows us to live a, Mm -hmm. a happier and more compassionate way of life when i uh whatsapped a few key people and yeah. said, what would you like to know? The reason why spirituality came up, as they said, is the question was, does it connect you to a higher power, a right. different thing? And listening to you, I think actually it's more that it connects you with you. Well, so I think the first kind of part of it is, is it connects us with ourselves, so mm-hmm. that we better understand ourselves. But then in better understanding ourselves, we better understand others. Mm-hmm. And in better understanding others, we better understand the, that which is bigger than all of us. Mm-hmm. So, And I think there's so many different names for that. There's awareness. <laughs> and there are lots of other kind yes. of words as well. And look, it doesn't really matter too much uh, what word we use. The thing I love and have loved about traveling around the world and 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 teaching meditation is that I get to sit in rooms with people from all different cultures and traditions and races and ages and genders and religions. And in the moment that we are all sat still in silence, focusing on the breath, there is just the shared sense of being human mm. and this shared sense of something bigger than humanity as well. Mm. And that's the thing that kind of excites me that although we have different ways of talking about things, there is the opportunity when we pause for long enough to actually be more connected to the to the people around us than we mm. might otherwise be. Yes. Which is a great pursuit. It's a big deal. Yeah. Like, you know, I think we are really disconnected from one another and I think we're also really disconnected very often from, yeah, 
that notion of something bigger than ourselves. Mm. Again, whether we call it awareness or, or something else. What about happiness? I feel like we talk definitely in, in my days, we definitely mm. talk about happiness in a way that we didn't before. Yeah. In that actually it's okay to pursue it. One should make decisions that get you closer to it. Yeah. And obviously self-care yeah. is one of the things. But I'm curious, because you obviously have these conversations all day, every day, the, the focusing on oneself and one's happiness, does yeah. that ever tip over into triggering narcissistic traits? Yeah, I think there's real, 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 I'm, I'm actually, I'm not actually kind of, I'm not sure I'm fully on board with the idea even that kind of chasing after happiness is an okay, is an okay thing. Um, I think it can be really detrimental. Mm. Um, I think first we need to kind of talk about what we mean by happiness and mm. everyone has a different kind of sense of that. Um, I think as human beings, we experience all kinds of different emotions. And that there is the emotion that is sometimes referred to as happiness. Um, when things are going well and we're not experiencing any negative emotions, we might kind of call it happiness. Um, I don't think that that is necessarily what we're talking about when... Because that kind of comes and goes in life. Mm. Something good happens, great, feel happy. Something bad happens, I don't want to feel happy when I find out a friend is really sick. Mm. Like That's not the, the emotion I want to experience in that moment. So I think we're talking about like an underlying contentment maybe mm-hmm. or peace of mind, which we could call happiness as well, which is with us all the time. So when things are going well, great, we're okay with it. When things aren't going well, great, we're okay with it. We're able to kind of be at ease and at peace with ourselves no matter what's happening in our life. So I feel like that's kind of maybe the the starting point mm. in, in establishing what it is we're looking for. And then my own experience has been that if we search too hard for happiness... We're never going to find it because <sighs> it's in the searching. I don't, the, the image that always comes to mind for me is when I was young, I used to work in a kitchen. And I was, it was way long time ago. So I was Before probably about 12 or 13 years old, you know, kind of probably shouldn't have been working in kitchens at that age. But um, I remember a chef that used to kind of, he bang around the place and make so much noise. And, it, and in doing that, he'd be saying, oh, he's always so noisy in here. And it was almost like he was making so much kind of noise that he couldn't even see that it was that that was making the noise. And I think in our own heads, we have so many conversations with ourselves about finding happiness. Mm. We actually drown out the very happiness that we're seeking. I would suggest that happiness is already here. Mm. It It's never been anywhere else. It's not going to be in going to another place, in finding another person, in acquiring some kind of material object. Mm. We kind of know that already to some degree, and yet we still kind of pursue that. Mm. It doesn't mean any of those things are bad. It doesn't mean we shouldn't go to another place, mm-hmm. or we shouldn't be with another person. But it's it's just understanding that those things in and of themselves aren't going to bring us happiness. Mm. Happiness is found here, and it's found when we let go of constantly searching for something different. Mm. That's been my experience anyway. Gosh. Get me rambling on, sorry. No, no, I, I very much enjoyed that, very much. Um, and uh, I, I just want to ask you about visualisation. I know that we're going to get a knock on the door in any way. Uh, I wanted to ask you about visualisation yeah. and meditation and yeah. their roles and compatibility. So, yeah, so look, visualisation is, uh, 
it's one it's it's like it's another meditation technique mm. um i don't really see it as something separate sometimes i um so we work a lot in sports at headspace and sometimes some athletes are more comfortable talking about visualization rather than meditation for me it's just another another meditation mm. kind of technique and i think it can be really powerful what i'm less kind of keen on on a personal level is some of the visualization that gets I've seen kind of used in the West, which feels a bit more maybe like self-fulfilling kind of. So it's kind of like, okay, you know, ridiculous example, but I really want a sports car. Right, I'm going to visualize my way to a sports car. Yeah, I mean, you're fine, you know, if that's kind of what you want to do. But I'm not sure that's necessarily kind of the best way of visualizing. Mm. I, I feel like visualization can be used as a as a way of transforming the mind. Um, it's another way to create more awareness in the mind and it's another way to connect more with those around us. Uh, whether it's self-healing, whether it's kind of helping helping others. I feel like there is real value mm. in learning visualizations, a really powerful technique, but if it can be of a more altruistic kind of nature, mm. I think it's it's better. What's the difference between visualization and daydreaming? We're conscious of one and not of the other. Okay. So if we if we if we're daydreaming, we don't even know we're daydreaming until we know we're daydreaming, at which point we're no longer daydreaming. Okay. Um if we're if we're visualizing if we're visualizing, there is a, a conscious intent. Okay, I'm going to picture this particular thing. Maybe it's a static image, maybe it's a moving image. But there's a, a conscious intent to, to stay with that image mm. or with that thought for a particular period of time. So I think it's the intention which um, sort of yeah. perhaps defines the difference. Because I remember the first time, well, not the, the only time I read The Secret, I just thought, I don't get it, I don't get it. Well, I want to I say I want yeah. designer shoes. I, do, I have to earn the money. Like, I should... Like what? Yeah, I mean, I I heard about it. It happened while I was away. I think I I did I did hear about it. I never read it, but look, like, there's so many different approaches in life, and you know, I'm definitely not sitting here saying one's one's right and one's wrong. Mm. But yeah, from my own experience, like our own happiness, our own contentment, is ultimately sort of found when we allow it to go beyond ourselves mm. when we're just as interested in others as we are in ourselves when we have just as much love for others as we do for ourselves mm. like that usually is when we kind of discover some some happiness mm. and maybe in a pair of shoes once in a while who knows <laughs> who knows indeed <laughs> you won't know until you try them on um <laughs> Someone's hovering at the door, so I'm going to draw it to a close. And yeah, right. this is potentially massively indulgent, but Go screw it. it. Um, <laughs> I, I discovered Headspace. My yeah. Headspace journey started when I was depressed. Right. And I found the app. Yeah. It was a life raft. And so, as I've said already during the show, I am not unique. I have many emails from listeners who I know have gone through the things or are going through the things that I have gone through. So... <laughs> I'm really glad to have put myself in a position where I can mm. sit in front of you, look you in the eyes, and say thank you. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Like, and it, for for what it's worth, you know, it's it's like the best job in the world, you know, to to be able to meet people who have who've done it. Yeah. You know, it's really it's a big team effort at, at this end. There's a lot of people kind of involved, and it's just 
genuinely so nice to meet people who've mm. who've applied it. And I, you did it, by the way. You were the person, mm. kind of. Yeah, we provided kind of the service, but you were the one who made the decision mm. to sit down and prioritize the health of your mind. And ultimately, that's what makes a difference. Mm. That's what makes it kind of work. So, mm. thank you for using it. Oh, anytime. It's been such a delight. Likewise, thanks for having me. In. I've had such fun. Um, I could have talked to you for another fourteen hours easily, but um, you know, <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to. I could go and catch a plane. Whittling down yeah. the questions, whittling down the topics, was one of the hardest tasks I've ever had to do for an interview. So Is that right? True. Obviously, listeners, all of the links to Andy, Headspace, and everything that has been discussed can be found in the show notes, which are wherever you are streaming, downloading, and listening to this podcast. But for now. Thank you for being on the Emma Gun Show. Oh, thanks, Emma. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation or found it useful. That would be my my aim, my goal for you to find that conversation useful and or helpful. If you want to get in touch with me, all you have to do is email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram where I'm at Emma Guns. I'm also at Emma Guns on Twitter. If you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then go to the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and click the link to join the Facebook forum. You have to answer two or three questions or agree to the forum rules, but then you are welcomed in with open arms and I, for one, cannot wait to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.